Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today is the last podcast of November, and so Graham McMillan and I make it a two-and-a-half-hour chat stravaganza. In it, we discuss graphic novels like Paul at Home and Girard, Five Years with Depardieu, comics like the second issue of Friday by Ed Brubaker and Marcos Martin, and tackle news about Dan Slott, Wonder Woman 1984, Alan Dean Foster, and much, much, and I cannot stress this enough, much more. As always, we welcome your questions at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, howdy! How are you, sir? Eh, eh. <laughs> oh, boy. Eh. Really? Yeah, sorry, I mean, but if it makes you feel better for, like, no other reason. No no real pressing reason. Like, everything is more or less okay. I had an okay week. Um, got some of the chores done that were supposed to be all chored up. But, but I have to tell you, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, um, you know, and maybe we will benefit by having been a couple of weeks since the last wait what but i sat down and i'm like okay now to read some comics and i was like ah, ah. and then i sort of like was logging you know i got like a week or so behind in terms of like oh right i should write down some of the stuff that i read and they throw that stuff on there and i'm like woo that's woo and then i was kind of looking at it being like wow i I really haven't read much this month. What's what's been what's been up? You know, and of it's course, true. like there's not been anything else happening this month at all. Yeah, well, see, and that's it. That is kind of the thing of like, there's lots of things to keep us really distracted, um, and I guess that's it. But yeah, I just I was kind of just not. I was like, oh, I should read this thing and that thing and. <laughs> <laughs> and some other things probably yes exactly I, yeah. okay so i'm i'm uh in terms of like moods mm-hmm. very different i am exhausted and yet like weirdly upbeat despite oh, being utterly exhausted mm. and i've had a shitty week but mm. i like i am I'm, I'm weirdly upbeat i'm really tired um but i also share what you're talking about kind of because for me like we're in the end of november Mm -hmm. i have to start thinking about best of year lists Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i'm at fucking sea this Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. like i really am i'm 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 struggling like hell yeah yeah i believe it i'm i'm incredibly grateful that i am far out of that loop you know, like, uh, and yeah, I really feel for you that that would be because this year especially feels really difficult to get your hands around. Like what has been what has been happening? What has been what yeah. has been like, you know, the bus books, because the things where you pick up the bus books, like the shows and everything mm-hmm. just haven't happened. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, so it's very strange. That said, mm-hmm. and I would say very quickly um i i have started reading and i've not finished reading but i've started reading a book that i strongly suspect is going to be on my list oh good um paul at home mm. oh I'm yeah uh, rabelgiati which only came out this week from john and quarterly mm-hmm. um i'm i'm like about a quarter of the way into it but it's it's 
it's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Uh, it, it's it's really good, and it it hits me. It hits me sort of in in the right emotional spaces, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's it feels very much like a book that that like I get on some level, which is very strange because it's not like it's uh, applicable to my life. It's not like it, it's something that I'm I'm necessarily like you know oh I can you know easily understand the experience here at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's taking care of his ailing mother and and he's. He's he's coming to terms with uh, you know for for a better way of putting it like being alone, mm-hmm. um, and those are not things that like are, are applicable to me. But there's something in the way that he's he's portraying that. There's something in the way that he's writing about the experience and dealing with the emotion and expressing the emotion without uh, really you know putting too much emphasis on it. For a better way of putting it, right. like he. he He's not making – that's not the focus of the text. That's mm-hmm. all in the subtext. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm finding it inc- an incredibly rewarding read. Hmm. It, it feels like a wonderfully subtle book. Um, in, I mean, you know, he, this isn't the first time that, that uh, Rebel Gliati's done, you know, a Paul book for one thing. But, like, you know, he's very good at doing books where the emotion subtext is just – fucking devastating right right you no know? but this is it's great and it's it's something that i'm uh i i've had in my to do to read list pile uh for a while mm-hmm. uh and i finally got started it and i was like oh shit yes this is the thing i should have been reading all along where i was like i just want to read something that like speaks to me mm. <laughs> I, was, I got you know part way into this and i was like yeah okay this mm. this is great this is uh, uh, for someone who spent a lot of time recently comfort reading comics, mm-hmm. uh, this is something that is challenging mm. and rewarding in a way that comfort reading isn't. Mm. Something that like I'm really appreciating because of that. Interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah, I I get it. In fact, I I'm curious the extent to which some of my blahs are. A little bit of it's just kind of been comfort reading for me, and I'm and I'm I'm okay with that. But I'm also kind of I think you know there's always that thing with comfort reading. I think where you just sort of start getting restless, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been doing a lot of comfort reading, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, for the last like, month or so, mm-hmm. uh, and part of that has been, you know, as I said, like there's been a lot going on. Yeah, comfort has had its appeal, you mm-hmm. know. But my comfort reading in itself has been restless because you know I get x amount of issues into the thing that I think I want to read, and I'm like, yeah, this isn't like I want something else. Mm-hmm. So it's other comfort reading, mm-hmm. 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 you know. And so you sort of ping pong between comfort reads, right? And it's, it's satisfying on some level, but also unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Honestly, can't quite comprehend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do get that. Um, I don't know. Although it's interesting for me, it's just more like, yeah, this specific type of material I kind of ran out of. So it's sort of. So what? What have you been reading? Well, uh, the comfort food stuff, the super comfort food, is uh, a like third or fourth time rereading uh, 
Watakoi, Love is Hard for Otaku. Um, four volumes, which the way it's digitally collected uh, is is basically the same as reading eight volumes of, of the regular print edition manga. And um, it's it's just it's just good stuff. You know, it's it's kind of like the Japanese nerd version of Friends. You know, it's just people hanging around and see, making that, clever references. Yes. That suddenly didn't sell it. Yeah. <laughs> you were never a Friends person, eh, Graham? I, uh, I was, and then I, like, I was when it was on, as mm-hmm. I try, I was when it started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I dropped off, as I suspect, like the majority of the audience did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Although there were a couple of years there where I think it was really enjoyably funny and you know it's one of those shows that is um found a new life on streaming which has spent a lot of people have been talking about why and there's a lot of like yeah it's you know it's before the internet basically all these people are hanging out in cafes and apartments and they're just spending time together they're not isolated they're not you know, even if they're neurotic, they're not neurotic in like Facebook and Instagram related ways that, that, you know, the youth recognize. And of course there's the, you know, they're in New York. They've, they've got big apartments. None of them seem to work, you know, all that stuff that seems. <laughs> no, they had jobs, remember? Oh no, One I of do them was remember. was a chef. I do remember. Uh, and Joey was an actor. Mm-hmm. And honestly, then I start to forget. Well, Right. Russ was an anthropologist. Uh, oh, that's what he was. I knew he was a scientist of some sort, but I was like, archaeologist? Yeah. He's, he's, he's a something. Uh, and Phoebe worked in the coffee shop, or maybe she didn't. Maybe her sister worked in the coffee shop? Oh, yeah. Actually, that, that was one of those funny things, right? Like, because she had the twin sister. She she did work in the coffee shop, and, of course, she was also a struggling singer type. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then this is what people tune into wait well for. Um, and Chandler had Chandler the mystery job. It, it it was it was one of those things where it was a long running joke. I thought about how nobody knew, and and for a long time he didn't. It almost seemed like he didn't either. But yeah, at some point it became some sort of finance stuff. I don't know. It was again like, but you know, for me, I'm like. It was funny and it was attractive people hanging out. So there's something about the, you know, and and like I told you, really tapping into kind of trying to figure out how to hone in on the manga romance end of things without like breaking the bank, I guess. Like I've slowly been working my way up of... uh, a side character's love story, which is a very, very slight tale told about two extremely shy uh, people who work in a grocery store who have feelings for one another. And, I mean, they're extremely shy and they're Japanese. So, I mean, you know what I mean? They might as well just it'd be the same as if you had two Americans in diving bells at the opposite ends of an ocean fall in love with one another. You know, it's I, just I've seen so... that Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> so true. You're right. Uh, you know, so that that was that that stuff has been good. Um, I picked up this thing, something like Summer Volume One, which is called, amusingly enough, Summer. Um, 
Wait, the the series is called Something Like Summer? Yes, it is. Okay, and volume one is called Summer. Yes, which is an interesting choice. Um, and how do I describe it? Uh, it's, it's basically gay teen romance, uh, 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 that, um, someone was like, oh yeah, you should check this out and blah, blah, blah. And well, all right. How do I talk around this? Essentially. I'm always nervous when you say, how do I talk around this? Yeah. What are, what are we talking around? Yeah. Yeah. why are we talking around something? Okay, okay. Okay, Graham, you got me. I'm no longer talking around it. Essentially, I've got a friend. His son is trying to figure out his sexuality, the son's sexuality. He's a teenager, even though he grew up here in Northern California super and went to a super hippie progressive school. Uh, part of the problem was uh, all the teachers and parents were super hip- hippie and progressive and a lot of the kids were incredibly, you know, as is their contradictory nature, kind of conservative and dickish. So, um, so this, uh, kid, my friend's son is sort of trying to figure out where he is and what he's into and, and, uh, wanted basically to have things to read about that, but it's never really much of a reader. So my friend, started looking into comics that he could find or OGNs. Uh, and this was one that his son really responded to and clicked with and thought was, was good stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's great. But there was a little bit of the, that was kind of the only thing that seemed super applicable to him per se, apparently. Anyway, so I picked it up, gave it a read and was deeply annoyed that this is like hopefully there is a higher quality young adult gay teen graphic novel series out there i'm sure i'm sure there are part of it is for whatever reason he's very unsurprisingly male identified not nearly as interested in reading about uh queer experiences from the other genders um, and so, uh, so it kind of makes sense that in theory, he's sort of semi also because there's trying to, there's my friend is trying to find material that is not particularly sexually graphic too. Have, which is have you or your friend, uh, read Bloom, the, the first second book? Uh, no, or I have not. I don't know. If uh, they it's, have. uh, hang on. Let me look it up. Uh, it is... Kevin Panetta and Savannah Gonushu. Mm-hmm. I'm probably horribly mispronouncing it. Um, it is a comic age story. It's a romance between a kid whose family owns a bakery and this boy comes to work at the bakery. And, oh, yeah, I remember like, they're, that. They're super into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very charming. It's it's not sexual at all. Right. Like right. It's, it is very much like YA coming of age story mm-hmm. and there's a romance, but the romance is like, you know, very PG. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was charming as hell. Mm. I really liked it. Like mm. I, I would, I would recommend it, and it, it might hit every part of what your friend's looking for. Right, right. Well, I appreciate that. I will pass that uh, along to him 
uh, literally just shot him an email with the link, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and I mean, something like uh, Summer, Volume 1, Summer. The other thing that was kind of weird and annoying was, if I understand things correctly, it might have been... I don't, I don't understand... It, it's, it's annoyingly um, multi-platform, you know? Like... Maybe it was a webcomic first and then became a series of books, but I think it was a series of novels that then became simultaneously a webcomic, which is being collected into these OGNs and a movie at the same time. So, you know, so picking it up had a little bit of the experience, the phenomenon, you know, and the whole introduction, which... I, I have to give the author credit, the author who wrote the books, in adapting the graphic novel, or however it worked, maybe this came first, was basically saying, yes, the artist is great, and had all this visual imagination, and did all the great stuff. And I'm like, ah, that's wonderful. I sort of ashamed that the copyright is not in their name then. But, I mean, <laughs> but, but honestly, it was just more the fact of, it was it was just it was just kind of bad storytelling like there was just way too much telling and not enough showing and it's it's just that perfect bad you know perfect storm of 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 bluck for me where i was like oh there's nothing worse than watching someone like pat themselves on the back and then produce like extensively and celebrate themselves and even graciously seem like they're celebrating their collaborators. And then you just read it and it's just like, yeah, you really, you needed an external editor on this one. Cause this is just, it's, Oh, it, you're just, this, this isn't what you think it is. It's yeah. There's just way too much like here, let's, let's explain this part again. And you know, those books where you feel like you're reading the same 40 pages over and over and over again, but sure, not, yeah. but not in a good way. He says, uh, as a, as I should say, as a comic reader. So that was that, that left me a little cranky. Um, Carthago. I, I don't think I mentioned to the people of wait, what if I did, it was super fast, probably because the last wait, what we had, I feel was, was eaten up by news and digressions, but, um, like surprise, but, uh, I, the last one was definitely the one where at the end we're like, Oh, we read comics too. Yeah. Right at the tail end. Um, I assume that you remember Graham, but on the last day of the month in October, which is say my birthday, I was on hoopla thinking I would check something out and realized I had like 20 borrows. And I'm like, Huh, I wonder if these all like reboot on November 1st. I'm just going to check out I, I mean I checked out like three Everything. or four books already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did and then I was like, "Oh, that's great." But but my record for reading stuff kind of tanked. So and some of that I put at at the heels of uh Carthago, which I think I might have mentioned is a megalodon giant shark euro graphic novel series i thought this was just one big story with lovely pages but no this was the omnibus of the first seven volumes that for me i'm like if you told me that you were going to do the show lost but it was going to be centered around a megalodon you know giant great white thing that eats everything 
I'd be like, sure, inject that crap right into my veins. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that sounds very huge. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But this is one of those heinous designer drugs where instead of getting pure Megalodon action, you're actually getting, you know, distilled cough syrup and crushed up cornflakes being injected into your bloodstream. It was just dull. It was dull, interminable, and it really dragged my reading down, which bummed me out because I had read the first Legion of Superheroes trade in a relatively short period of time, and I'm like, well, if that didn't kill my desire to keep reading... Um, I read uh, Girard, Five Years with Depardieu, which was a really fascinating little Euro Wait, comics read. Yes. It's a comic about Gerard Depardieu? It is. It is. Oh they're, my God. They're, isn't it? it? And it's tell, great. Tell me more. Tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me, get, let me get the author's name right. Uh, Girard, Five Years with... Like, what? what the hell? Yeah, wow, it's not even on Amazon. So, uh, Gerard, Five Years with with Depardieu, is uh, essentially a French cartoonist was assigned to do a profile of Depardieu as comic reportage. And then uh, by uh, Matthew Matthew Sepin, Sapin, S-A-P-I-N. And... um, and then just basically continued to get together and hang out with Depardieu uh, over a period of years. So it it itself has a very uh, volume-based approach because it's got sp- significant sections from each of the years. But the cartooning is fabulous because Gerard Depardieu is in his full, you know, hefty you know, snorting, snarling, growling way. And Sapin is a great cartoonist. There's just, there's just things with the, like Depardieu looks like in many places, like, I don't know, a sausage with a feathered wig. And yet it looks, it looks just like him. Right. So that was actually really great in a, I, you know, it, it maybe ran a little long because essentially each volume is kind of Depardieu doing the same thing, which is going places, terrifying people, eating and drinking too much, holding forth, and then candidly talking about how little he likes himself sort of over and over and over again. Sure. But first for you, Graham, who reacted like I reacted, it, it sh- I think you will find it a real treat. Because it really, it's interesting seeing something that is able to convey someone's charisma. And also, you know, without necessarily making a big deal about it, you know, sort of talks about kind of what a big pain in the ass Depardieu is. To the point where he's, of course, exhausted with himself. But also catching all the things that make him fascinating. So yes, for us Gerard Depardieu fans, hook that hook yourself up with that on Hoopla Graham Gerard Five Years with Depardieu. It was it was quite good. That was good. And that was I was like, oh well man, I'm just gonna plow through the rest of this stuff. I think I told you I read Spawn number three eleven, the Chadwick Bozeman issue on Hoopla, and by Chadwick Bozeman I mean 
he's on, on the cover. He's on the cover as Spawn, which consider I just I McFarlane is shameless. He's shameless and still incredibly dull, man. I got to tell you, I read that Spawn. I even reread it so that we could talk about it, and then each time it just vanished from my mind like like a like a vapor. Like it's Spawn is in a battle with all these guys and it's and it's amazing how much of it is is all about I feel Todd McFarlane like it it very much feels like a comic book about a guy who was huge I mean literally it's hard to give McFarlane this much credit so I apologize for even making it sound like I'm going to, but here's a guy who left Marvel comics and more or less set himself up with a superhero that was more or less, um, a, you know, a hell spawn who goes on to more or less take over hell. And so I think the whole kicked out of heaven becomes the king of hell, you know, better, better to rule on, on, unto hell than serve under heaven is, or however the damned Star Trek saying goes, uh, is, is very much the, where, uh, Spawn is coming from as a character. But I mean, it's, it's really tedious because it is, it, he is a character who just goes around telling people what to do. People growl at him. And then every once in a while, there is an, just an utterly dull action sequence that, and, and I mean, by utterly dull, it's a lot of people shooting things out of their hands and beams and lights and people going, ah, and smoke and people gritting their teeth. And it's just, it's really, it's amazing how little fun there is in there. So, it's a, yes, we've, we've gone over this before. You liked Spawn at some point. Like Spawn, well, well I seem yeah. to remember, maybe I'm misremembering. I seem to remember that you read Spawn for for an extended period of time. Mm, yeah, I I think that might oversell it, but uh, I let me clarify things. Back when I had an action figure monkey on my back, back in the 90s, the Spawn figures were great. I had a horrifyingly huge collection, and I would sit down and try and read the Spawn stuff. So I think I've read maybe the first 16 issues and or dropped in and out. And I think the reason why it's confusing is, is that McFarlane really clearly likes the same things that I like. Their Spawn is such a Jim Starlin character by any other name. Like it's all McFarlane trying to do cosmic comics, you know, and and with a gritty with lots of gritty twists and shadowy players and double crosses and stuff. It's just it's just really dull. And not really dull in the Graham McMillan thinks that Jim Starlin is really dull kind of way. It's in the <laughs> Jeff really likes Jim Starlin and therefore should eat this shit up with a spoon. But um it's it's just it's just you know it's it's kind of in in some ways it reminds me a lot of Brian Bendis's stuff, except Brian Bendis is a much more entertaining writer on a dialogue balloon by dialogue balloon kind of way. And McFarlane's deathly dull, but they have the same instincts. Characters get together, talk everything out. 
there's something that happens that's supposed to be a game changer that realigns the stakes for everyone. And that's supposed to open up another arc, which is going to basically consist of new people or people that appearing that you thought were dead or haven't seen in a while showing up to either speak cryptically or explain what's going on to the next person. Like seriously, the difference between spawn and event Leviathan is is arguably really thin. It's it's just it's a crucial difference when you are actually reading from page to page, being like, huh, yeah, that's funny. Oh, I enjoy this. Huh, I wonder what and then ultimately it just comes back to why did why did I do that to myself? Why? <laughs> I was reading um Poison Chalice. I was rereading Poison Chalice this week. Mm. Poison, have I talked to you about Poison Chalice before? Have I talked about it in this podcast? Before? Very briefly and a long time ago. So you can definitely. It's a, it it's a book about Miracle Man. Yeah. About the history of Miracle Man. Mm-hmm. And really about the convoluted uh, legal history of Miracle Man. And honestly, I went back to it because I. Well, two reasons. One, I was thinking. Whatever fucking happened to the Neil Gaiman, Mark Buckingham, Miracle Man that was supposed to launch two years ago? Right. Uh, and the answer is, like, who the fuck knows? Um, but the other thing is, I I thought I wanted to revisit the point where everyone thought Tom McFarlane owned it. Mm-hmm. And that's a fascinating part of the book. Yeah. That's arguably maybe the most interesting part of the book. Mm-hmm. Because the, the author basically makes an argument that McFarlane owns nothing. That's right. McFarlane never owns anything. He owns a logo. Mm-hmm. And that was it. <laughs> he had no ownership or claim to Miracle Man whatsoever. Right. But McFarlane was, uh, depending on how you want to credit McFarlane, smart or dumb enough to think that that just didn't matter as long as he claimed ownership. That's right. That's right. And and, and more particularly, and I, I'm curious if this means that you will uh, guide us into some of the week's news because of how it ties in. Um, Neil Gaiman actually talked recently about the fact that part of why McFarlane did that was his, essentially his belief that he could lawyer up better than anyone else. And if anyone had a problem with it, they could take him to court. And Gaiman, of course, famously did, you know, which was one of a string of other failures when McFarlane got brought to court. took McFarlane to court Mm -hmm. over and over again. Yeah. Well, that's it. So many times. Yeah. Like what I, what I'd actually forgotten until reading this, rereading this book is Gaiman and McFarlane, were basically in court pretty continuously for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And 10 of those years, it was Gaiman funded by Marvel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right? Which, I, again, I'd utterly forgotten. Yeah. Um, but, but McFarlane pretty much either, again, thought that he did own it or thought that if he just claimed that he owned it, mm-hmm. everyone else would fucking back off. Mm-hmm. And honestly, seeing what he did over the very spawn things... Mm-hmm. That he got in conflict with with Gaiman, mm-hmm. um, I strongly suspect that it's a mix of the two. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, because the book actually spends a lot of time talking about the various Spawn lawsuits 
mm-hmm. the game Berlin had. And those are hilarious. Yeah. I mean, legitimately funny. <laughs> you know, McFarlane claims that basically he owns the characters that he has said previously to, to Gaiman that Gaiman co-created and co-owned yes. because he co-created them. He then basically is like, well, you know, they're derivative characters of my property, so they definitely belong to me. And then when he realizes that he's not going to get away with that, just creates knockoffs of his own characters. Yes, yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Like, even though that contradicts his own mythology for Spawn. Yeah. Which is great. And, like, the idea that a judge had to go through this and then point out the ways it contradicted the fucking Spawn mythology. <laughs> like, he quotes one of the legal rulings where the judge is like, well, this goes against your own established mythology. That's right. You know, you yeah. said that Spawn can only appear every hundred years, so why are there two different Spawns in the same time period that both look exactly identical? <laughs> like, how does this work? Um, but no, you do. You see that, that McFarlane pretty much was just like, okay, fine. You can take me to court, and I'll just fucking lawyer up, and yep. I'll win. Right. Because I can afford the best lawyers. Mm-hmm. And... Like, Todd McFarlane's legal career is hilarious because it's just him losing yeah. continually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he hasn't won anything legally. Yeah. <laughs> you think at some point he'd wise up and be like, oh, sh- fuck, okay, I'm just going to take the loss. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, the, 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 the Spawn shit and the Miracle Man shit was just, you know, over and over and over again appealed. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, that's it. He kept being like, okay... We're gonna keep. We're gonna keep going for it. We're gonna take it to the next court. We're gonna get this overturned on appeal, and it just didn't. And yeah, it was. It was a series of amazing face plants. So right. So Spawn still in you know is at, like a dude who just figures that he can stick it out if he does the same thing for long enough. That's kind of what Spawn reads like to me. Honestly, I meeting is still going. Like I, I think that about Savage Dragon, but Savage Dragon at least has, for better or worse, you know, altered with with Larson's interests and our kinks. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. There's interests. There's kinks. There's. I mean, I think part of it is because McFarlane stopped drawing Spawn like a long, 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 long time ago, but. And there have been periods where I don't think that he was writing, apart from maybe plotting. Yeah, no, there's, and... there's times where he's basically not been attached to the property at all. Exactly. So now he's, in theory, back as writer. But, you know, the thing about Larson is Larson it uses Savage Dragon as a, kind of as a way to draw whatever he wants to draw. And because the cartooning is important to him... It moves in weird areas, but it there's like I I've probably by this point read more Savage Dragon than I've read of Spawn, and it's sort of the same thing. I will well, it's I'm sorry, it's very it's the same thing in that I feel like at a certain point, like it's just going around in circles a little bit. But I if I drop out for long enough and come back in. I can usually hang out for another six to ten issues, because if nothing else, because Larson is writing and drawing, and his drawing is more um, vital, I think, 
you know, his writing is whatever. And of course, there are things as with his recent turn to the porntastic, where it's just like, it's clear he is, A, he's having a ball working without any kind of censor. And he's kind of like, fuck it, I'm just going to go for it. And I was like, I, I honestly, his I'm just going to go for it comics had been way more interesting to read than you know, like that time that just broke my heart where he's like, yeah, I'm basically going to do Savage Dragon, but Commandy, but I'm yeah. also going to like bore the shit out of you. It's a perfect jumping on point for new readers because all I'm going to do every issue is talk about like what happened to this other person you don't know anything about because you weren't reading the first 50 issues of the book. It It is amazing how astonishingly insular savage dragon is mm -hmm. savage dragon is really difficult to just pick up an issue of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is you know people used to joke about how uh completely off-putting x-men comics were mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there is nothing in savage dragon <laughs> people who don't read savage dragon on a regular basis pick up an issue and see how much of it you actually understand. Yeah, right. And I don't just mean like you get the vague shape of because you can get the vague shape. Yeah. So and so is having a conversation. They're mad at someone else. But actually understand. Because Savage Dragon is a book that literally is like, I hope you're reading for the three hundred issues because that's the only way you're going to understand everything that's happening here. Right. Which which on the one hand part of me is like, well, you know, maybe but it reads better in trade. I oh. No it no it doesn't. No, I went through I know. <laughs> actually trying to trying to like really yeah but um no but there is a like there's part of me that maybe doesn't applaud that but at least thinks you know for the people who have been reading for 300 issues that's probably great no it totally is you know i do like, know those people who really, are into really it really great mm -hmm. and which makes sense i mean that is part of the pleasure of the comic book i of of superhero serialized fiction i think the only thing that that is a bummer sort of the same way with McFarlane in a weird way is there's certain things that Larson is, as far as I can tell from the issues I looked at, he's, he's, he's not interested in recapping, you know, or else whoever he's working with for editing purposes is not, is not telling him that he's doing a bad job at providing context. So part of it is, you know the the brave image uh architects leaving marvel to strike a blow for creative freedom but a lot of it as you read articles with them where they were like i was tired of drawing group scenes i hated having to do recap pages you know like i really you know, why not just pinups the pinups sell more for me but then i've got to show something with a bunch of people walking down a street ugh you know, and so and so there's a lot that reads like that, where Dragon just reads like um, it's it's it just is a weird mix because he's drawn so many hundreds of issues, um, which clearly takes a kind of discipline. And yet there's parts of it that just seem ridiculously undisciplined and. Uh, but, uh, but it is. And, and so is Spawn for all the Isaac yes. Spawn is just, you know. Uh, trash. Mm -hmm. um, both of them are very much examples of the quote-unquote image concept, like the original image concept, mm -hmm. because they're very much doing what the creators want to do and fuck everything else. 
Well, and I think, weirdly enough, they're also the only ones that are still doing that. You know, like, to the extent to which it's really obvious, like, Jim Lee could really care less whether he draws any of the members of Wildstorm ever again, you know, or, uh, and, and similarly, I, you know, Rob Liefeld may talk about his passion for young blood, but it never seems to work beyond two issues, maybe two and a half issues, you know, at a go. But I think what, what I find interesting is McFarlane and Larson both, had uh yes this is what i split off to do i'm literally going to do it and to me what is interesting is how much mcfarlane is i i have a brand i'm turning this into a brand there's ways to reinvigorate this brand and i've never been more convinced that these are the times at which my brand is perfect for the times that we face now which, I mean, sure, maybe, but, you know, and then the flip side of it is kind of Larson, who is just like, you know, part of what I loved about Jack Kirby was he did whatever he wanted and he could draw a hundred issues of it and just, and just make it fun. And that's, you know, I just get that sense that that is very much what, what Larson also is doing or has done and I guess in theory it sells well enough that he can afford to do it or he invested wisely or, you know, however it yeah, happens. Yeah, so Savage Dragon at this point really does just feel like a comic that's going to continue until he's dead. Yeah, exactly. And and there's ways in which I... I you kind of admire that. I do, thing. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I, become the less problematic Dave Sim. Right, exactly. I mean, for now. I mean, because I do wonder sometimes... Oh, no, like, there's there's... I said less problematic as opposed to non-problematic. Yes. No, I know. But I'm just, I'm also like, yeah, but give him time. Because, like you said, he's less problematic. I think he's still got another 15, 20 years in him. Who knows oh, where that road there's ends. There's some, 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 some shit in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware back when I was, you know, dropping in on the threesome sequences. And it was like, huh, well, this is... This is a thing. So, um, as they see Jimmy Olsen, that sure is some content. <laughs> uh, what else did I read? You know, the second issue of Friday came out uh, nine million years later. Yes, I don't think I still that's... haven't read it. I downloaded it. I still haven't read it. You know, it's funny. I downloaded it, was like, oh, there it is, and then spent a week before, like, oh shit, I never read that. And then I read it. It's. It's not bad. It's pretty good. I um, I think I, I, I mean this with the best will. Mm-hmm. Is it another issue where visually it's fucking stunning and the story is like, huh? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, you and I have slightly different um appreciations you're, you're for Brubaker. You're much more on Brubaker's train than I am. Absolutely. So, but 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 even. With that in mind, like Friday issue one felt very much the holy shit, Marcos Martin is amazing. Yeah. And there's also a story which is entertaining enough. Yeah. Um, hmm. uh, so my personal thing, and I think the thing that throws me off is 
I because it was Martine, because it was Brew Baker, um, I assumed that it was going to be monthly or maybe bi-monthly. And I think there was something like five or six months between issues, which, again, if any year uh, uh, you've got to get out of jail free card for that, that it is 2020. But I think I think that Brubaker's stuff is, um, for lack of a better term, methodical. Like it's a slow, steady burn. And uh, and so as a monthly comic or in trades, it works great. Six months later, I was kind of like, "This feels this feels a little slight." Like the nar- the narrative drive isn't there. I think if someone hadn't read issue one and found out the first two issues were out, like they and read them back to back, they'd be like, "Oh, this is this is good. This is kind of a slow like." Some of the questions that you have in the first issue are uh, uh, fleshed out in the second issue, but that leads you to different questions. And there's a slightly larger feel of what's going on. The, the, the drawing is still fucking fantastic, but, um, but it is, it's after reading the second issue, I was like, maybe I will continue to pick up the issues and then literally read it in the famous Graham McMillan all in a one at the end of things. Well, I, for one of a, a less cynical way of putting it, the eventual image comics hardcover is probably going to be lovely. Oh, I I'm sure it is. I mean You know? Yeah. I I, I was like, it can't have been six months between issues. And you're pretty much correct, it was five. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly was like, no, it launched this summer and it kind of did. It launched in May. Mm-hmm. And then October was the, was the second issue. But still that's that is a long time between issues. Yeah, it's a long time. And like I said, I feel that if for for something that's a slow burn comic, you know, where you're reading two chapters of what feels like a story, you know, it just it it was that was a little frustrating, I have to say. So, um, yeah, that was something that I read that was a little on the ha. Huh. Um, there are there's weird news to talk about and. Okay, I'm 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 very into the, the idea of talking about weird news. Okay, before we get to the weird news, I want to do something that I have I don't think I've ever been able to do, Graham, and it is something that you do a lot. And I was always like, "Huh, does he do this because it feels good?" So I'm about to find out. So, Graham, <laughs> I am nervous, <laughs> listeners. There's something I can't tell you. I so want to tell you, but I can't tell you. I I did a thing on the internet that I had to sign a disclosure about, and so therefore cannot discuss. Shit. But I do know that there is a very good chance that others of you had the same opportunity, and I know at least one person who also took it, and... I meant to check in with Matt Turrell to see if he also did. Um, <laughs> I'm curious as shit. But as a result of that, uh, I was able to get two Marvel Digital Comics um, sent to me. Um, actually, it could have been five, but I'd already read the other three. And I have to say they were not a very good. So... <laughs> 
firstly, you know I'm going to be asking you questions when we're not recording. Yep. Secondly, uh, what were the Marvel Digital Comics? They were champions outlawed number one. Uh, and uh, the relatively new is it even out yeah. yet the the Civil War Junior thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's the Gap Kids version of Civil War, and uh, it, it was and is written by Eve Ewing. The art I'm trying to remember who drew it, but um, yeah, I mean for one, oh uh, Simone De Mayo. Uh, as someone who had has literally never read an issue of the Champions reboot, you know, because because I'm all about the original team, baby. Uh, I I just I just it was um, you know, I a it was like wow, this really takes so many of the beats from Civil War, like a lot, a lot of beats from it, and I was I, like, all I remember the announcement was like, but that is Civil War, yeah. And then you read it and you're like, whoa. I mean, it's got it's got half a clever twist in it, I think, in that uh ironically enough, the um so apparently because um Viz Vision Viv Viv the Vision's daughter, right? She apparently explodes a la speedball and then no. Kamala and yeah, seriously, it's let's see, what I mean that's in the outlawed event. This is champions outlawed. Um, okay, here's the recap page. The champions were serving as protection for a young environmental activist during a science summit at Cole's Academic when the school was attacked by both a dragon and a group of armed mercenaries. The team managed to defeat the dragon, but a series of strategic miscalculations led to Viv Vision inadvertently unleashing an explosion that destroyed the school and caused widespread injury. Ms. Marvel, in her civilian identity of Kamala Khan, was hospitalized after being caught in the explosion. Kamala became the face of a movement to ban underage superheroes, while her alter ego, Ms. Marvel, became wanted by the law. Kamala's law went into effect, resulting in underage superheroes being declared illegal with the government-sponsored task force, and hold on to your acronyms, Cradle Enforcing the Ban. The events of this issue take place after Outlawed, number one. Uh, so yeah, you know, I mean, again, the half-clever twist of, oh, it's Kamala's Law, but meanwhile, Kamala Khan is Ms. Marvel and is trying to, you know, fight this. Um, but, you know... Of course, all these heroes, young heroes, get together and feel differently, and people are pissed at Miss Marvel for basically acting like headstrong and speaking for everyone without waiting to see how everyone felt. And and it's and and there's there's just lots and lots of characters, and I just I didn't care. I didn't care. Iron Man number one is um, written by oh, it's the, the Chris Cottmel. Yes. Series. Yes, and artist is uh, Cafu, uh, and it looks quite lovely. I have to say, the art is beautiful between Cafu's art and uh, Frank D'Amata's color arts. Um, gorgeous. Uh, of course, they get Alex Ross in to do the covers, and I think 
did the redesign for the Iron Man armor. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, and um, who's Chris Cantwell? Because this it's not bad. It's not great, but it's not Chris bad. Cantwell. Chris mm-hmm. Cantwell is the co-creator of the TV show Halt and Catch Fire. Oh. Um, which I like a lot. He recently, most recently, wrote the Doctor Doom series for Marvel, oh. which I also like a which lot. Which a lot of people liked, yeah. Um, uh, I'm really curious what you think about Iron Man, because I think this is going to be something where you and I are going to disagree. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's Iron Man, and he... Um, Hellcat pops up, which is... Uh, <laughs> Maybe we're not going to disagree. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it sure is a comic, I guess, right? Right, exactly. And I and I think there's just that. I think I think it could be me. It probably is me. Let's put it first and foremost to the to whatever extent that I re- cared about Tony Stark. It was a bajillion years ago. It has not been for a very long time, and so I don't really kind of care much. And also, I feel that that Iron Man is someone where, for whatever reason, well, that actually I did like Fractions, uh, I, which I never even bothered to finish, but I liked his first three or four that's, trades. I that's thought. honestly yeah. probably for the best. Yeah, well, exactly. So everyone said, but the first three or four trades, very clever, real smart, and then for whatever reason, they're just. Every time there was sort of that smell of trying too hard about Iron Man that I just so I was not into it and so this book like like you said it sure is a comic but it's a there's a little bit of like i don't it's the whole like oh tony's decided that he's lost track of himself and he's going to get back to his roots but what are his roots and who is he really and is he you know there's a whole thing where he invites a bajillion tech dudes to a big party and they're all trying to get him to come on their boards and be advisors to their projects and et cetera, et cetera. And then he, he leaves the party with Hellcat and then sets off an EMP that fries all of their electronics. And I'm supposed to be like, that is a thing, you know? And then there's a whole fast and the furious sequence in it. And it's just it's, sort of, yeah, it's, it's really, it's such a strange comic. Yeah. I like that. I like Cantwell's, um, Doctor Malot. Mm-hmm. I actually like how much she could fly at, at uh, Burger Brooks as well, mm. and I and I like Hall and Catch Fire. Iron Man feels really surprisingly unsteady mm-hmm. compared with those other books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really like about Doctor Doom is it's a weird book, but it's a book where you can tell that Catmull knows what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And knows who his Doctor Doom is, and his Doctor Doom is really fucking fun, especially when you consider Doctor Doom's uh, portrayal in other recent Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, going into Iron Man, I was genuinely excited. I was like, okay, like he's a quirky writer, he's a funny writer. I like the idea of a back to basics Iron Man after you know the mm-hmm. various things Iron Man's been through. This would be great. And it feels like a comic that doesn't really want to do anything because it's so nervous, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, and it's got some good ideas. Like, I like the idea of Hellcat being there, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I like the interplay between Tony and and Patsy. Yes. But there's nothing else to that comic. Yeah, it's, it's pretty slight. And I think one could say that if ever there's a reason for a comic to feel a little directionless it's about 
a character that looks like they're having a midlife crisis, but are insisting that they're sure, not. But sure, yeah. but still, no, like, agreed, agreed. Absolutely. That's not what's happening, you know. Yeah, it's it's uh, it it's a, a really disappointing comic. The reason I thought we were going to disagree is like I think visually it's terrible. Hmm. Hmm. I, I think it's just not interesting at all. Oh yeah, it's not yeah. interesting. I think Capu's art is is like really surprisingly unattractive. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I. It is in that style of un of largely unappealing that I sort of don't mind at a surface level. I think maybe because of the coloring, there were levels where I was kind of like, um. Like, you know how, like, I don't know how you feel about Steve Epting, but I like Steve Epting, but I also get that same sort of um, vibe where it's like Epting can look good and solid work, but it can also look very um, uninspired. Like its storytelling is uninspired and it can seem a little over rendered, I suppose. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a little bit like that, but I also like that. And again, considering this was a free comic that I was pretty bored by, I was like, oh, nice. Good color choices. Yeah. Well, you know. I, I mean, we talked before about the, the strange thing where if a comic – if you're not paying for a comic or you're paying less for a comic, right. you're much more forgiving of it. Oh, completely. Completely. Well, and even then, it was like uh, – yeah. I, at the same time, I was like, this is dull. I It wasn't is like I like Champions Outlawed number one uh, much less. Honestly, Iron Man was like, ah, oh, it's fine. And I like these colors, you know. Well, oh, Man's and there's a unicorn. Bad. Yeah. Iron Man's just like. But like you said, it's just a comic. It's there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. It doesn't really do anything. Like yeah. it's not a bad comic. It's just kind of a dull comic. Right. It's a comic that feels hyper nervous and feels hyper aware of the attention it's going to get and so it doesn't really want to do anything it's the comic version of like you know the shy teen at the family gathering who just hides in the corner because they don't want their aunt to ask them what they've been up to this year right right yeah exactly which is hilarious because of course it's got that alex ross cover and everything about it is kind of uh look at it so yeah exactly it's 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 that person but it's at their own birthday party and so there's just a lot of stuff that's just it's just it's awkward and uncomfortable speaking of awkward and uncomfortable uh i'm hoping that you saw this but matt sibley on twitter posted a thread with screenshots from this absolutely amazing marvel 616 episode about dan slot i hey i've not seen that thread but i watched the episode today Oh, then you're probably on the same page because Sibley was like, how the fuck are they letting this run? Because all of the screenshots are essentially Dan Slott sitting there blowing every one of his fucking deadlines. No, no, Jeff. It's amazing that it is literally, I think it's 45 minutes or so, of people shitting on Dan Slott, (laughs) including Dan Slott. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's 
for people who haven't seen this, Marvel have put on Disney Plus a series called Marvel 616, and it's a series of eight documentaries. Each one is directed by a different director. Each director was given the option to basically make any documentary you want, as long as it's about a Marvel subject. Mm-hmm. And so you've got one about the Japanese Spider-Man show. You've got one about cosplayers dressing up as Marvel characters. You've got one about... Um, marvel comics and marvel toys and you've got one called the marvel method mm-hmm. and the marvel method is about the creation of the first issue of dan slot's iron man 2020 series right and it starts 12 weeks before the issue is launched mm-hmm. and what you see is literally dan slot fuck everyone else <laughs> Failing to hit his deadlines, yeah. something that 12 weeks before, Tom Brevoort goes on the record and says he's going to blow his deadlines. Dan's good at a lot of things, but meeting deadlines is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? To the point where three weeks before launch, they bring – again, there's editing here. I seem to remember that Christos Gage was solicited – Mm. for the first issue which means it, this timeline is wrong but according to the show three weeks before launch chris's gauge is brought on yeah because dan Slott can't script the book yeah well it's like for what should be a puff piece it's a marvel show about a marvel comic yeah and for some things it's slot clearly clearly uh engaged in wholeheartedly and like he makes jokes about his own inability to hit deadlines as well yeah but it is shocking the extent to which it makes dan slot look amazingly bad at his job yeah well and and the thing is is you've got shots of you know him and tom brevoort sort of you know being like yes and then it runs late and it's a nightmare but that's the magic of comics yeah, you know, it's jokes that it's Iron Man 2022. <laughs> That's really the funny. opening of the show is Dan Slott writing the first page mm-hmm. and then getting distracted by a tweet. <laughs> That's not a joke. No, That's I saw the screenshots. The screenshots are amazing That's of that. First thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but a lot of people are understandably appalled because God bless, they actually talk to the artist where the artist is like. Um, yeah, I, I basically... They actually have the letter say that if the print deadline, the deadline for getting it to the printer is 6.30, he will be getting edits at 6.15. Mm. Mm. Like, that is how up to the to the, the very limit mm-hmm. it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it is shocking how much it throws, you know, slot onto the bus. Honestly, all of Marvel... Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny because it's meant to be a celebration of the Marvel method. And it really just kind of shows that the Marvel method is actually kind of fucked. Oh, it's completely fucked. It's very much about artists and letterers and everyone else being forced into crunch because of but you undisciplined have, people you at the top. actually have other people in the show say that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is great. I'm impressed with that. But it's You know, you, you basically have Reaper at one point being like... Almost no one works Marvel Method anymore. Almost everyone works full script. Dan's one of the few people who still works Marvel Method. So I'm just curious, why is he writing full script at the beginning of the series if he's doing... That's a very good question. (laughs) It's a very good question. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. Like again, you you sort of see like it's one of those things where you see behind the scenes, and it's it's. I think it, I genuinely think it is meant to be a puff piece, and they give you a little much too much glimpse. Mm-hmm. Right. So, for example, Chris's Gage is brought on. He's like, you know, I love it. I'm Dan's deadline helper. He actually calls himself that. Yeah. Right. Um, but then they go, you know, so he's brought on to script the book. And he's like, yeah. And then Dan and I disagreed about how we wrote the cat dialogue. Mm-hmm. So we had to have a couple of go rounds about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and you see uh, Gage script off of um, Pete Woods' layouts, not even the finished art. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's just, if the timeline on the show is correct, and it can't be, but if the timeline on the show is correct, it literally took 12 weeks for that one issue to be made. Right, right. And, you know, there there seems multiple reasons why that can't be right. Mm-hmm. You know, not least of which, if the timeline of the show is to be believed, that book was printed and distributed within a day. Right. Yeah. Right? Which, no, clearly not. Right. But let's assume that they crunched, quote unquote, launch and one day to launch as one day to print mm. and then the launch day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But even if it's when they're saying, you know, 12 weeks launch, whatever, they're still saying it took 12 weeks to make that one issue of a comic. Right. Right. Which, don't get me wrong. Yes, there's obviously going to be everyone's working in a different pages at different times on different stages at different times mm-hmm. but the way they present it like the comic is still being written yeah like a day before like at the at the end of 12 weeks the mm-hmm. writing process for a comic right it's still happening to and, and not just tight dialogue changes no like they're making plot changes which yeah. just feels – I mean, it, again, I think there's some editing shenanigans going on there. Mm-hmm. As much as I think they're trying to make it seem more dramatic than it actually is. But if it's not, right. then, like, for want of a better way of putting it, that comic took too long to get made. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like it seems it seems weird. But I mean it all seems weird. Twelve weeks before launch would mean that I mean twelve weeks is three months, which means it would be solicited at the same time, according to the show, that Dan Slot is sitting down with Tom Brevoort to talk about what the comic is. Right. Right. You know, which seems odd, but but based on that episode alone, yeah, it is amazingly throwing Slot under the bus. Like really impressively mm-hmm. dramatically mm-hmm. so anyone who has disney plus i do recommend you watch it to be perfectly honest yeah 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 i would i have to say after seeing the screenshots i was like holy shit do i want to watch this unsurprisingly slot is on twitter apparently um you know being dan slot on twitter and i suppose that is another was the franklin richard story this week this was another one of those weeks that so, was like 300 years i, I too don't long. know because I've I literally only heard about that today. Oh, today. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So I so I I and like when I say heard about, literally just heard about. I don't know what this what this Franklin Richard stuff is. Oh, okay. This could be hilariously off because all I know is from reading about it 
is uh, on Twitter. But essentially, hmm, how do I put it? Dan Slott, being kind of the old school guy that he is, you and I have both read, you know, um, Baxter Building, our read-through of the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four. And in there, we saw a couple of intriguing Franklin Richards-related uh, cons or retcons with his sure, reality-changing yeah. powers. Dan Slott pulled out of his butt, apparently, another twist on that, where Franklin Richards has more or less used up his his reality altering powers. Yeah, um, that's that's something that has been like on the cards for a while. Exactly, like what, it's something something he's been building up to for for a bit. Yes, the thing that people had not really um, that was uh, not so much in the cards, or rather, the other thing that was in the cards is is that Franklin Richards is classified as one of the few Omega level mutants according to the X-Men, Jonathan Hickman's X-Men reboot, and therefore is um, sort of a highly desirable member of Krakoa. And there was a Fantastic Four X-Men series, I want to say written by Chip Zdarsky. Yeah, yeah. It, it just was like earlier this year. Right. That has Franklin wanting to go to Krakoa and his family being upset and him being very torn and et cetera, et cetera. Slot has come up with the sort of Slotian knot, as it were, the Gordian slot. Uh, he essentially has it such that Franklin is not a mutant and has never been a mutant but rather his reality-altering powers from when he was a baby, apparently, made him want to be special such that that meant that his reality-altering powers made him a mutant. When he, or rather, everyone perceived him as a mutant, that reality, you know, everyone, a bent reality such that everyone did. But essentially, now that he's lost his powers, there's a scene in the latest Fantastic Four where he's trying to go to Krakoa and the psychic form of Professor X uh, basically says, fuck off, you poser. Like, you know, in Professor oh, X speak. Oh, oh, really? But basically says, like, you were never a mutant. You're not welcome at Krakoa. I mean, and, that's that's a... Uh, uh... That's a hell of a retcon. Yeah, so it's a hell of a retcon, and it ends up being, um, you know, uh, problematic. Problematic because a lot of people were essentially talking about the the FF X Men issue that Sadarsky wrote. That it's a very strong um, plays into the metaphor of the the child who is curious who is queer trying to understand their place and their community and and the thing of the 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 parents the concern of the parents and now in slots retcon it more or less becomes a metaphor for the kid who's just pretending for attention which is not which is a very negative narrative that's out there in the world these sure. days. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of people that were upset about that and upset at Dan Slott. So not a good week for Dan Slott. 
Um, I, I, I mean, who knows? Again, this this uh, Disney Plus thing, like he's he's definitely engaging in it very happily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, like, maybe he thinks it is a good week. Like, maybe he's totally into the the Disney thing. No, he might. It, you know, he might be. He certainly seems very jovial there. I mean, I think that. Um... I definitely think that from my time looking at this, the number of people in the comics industry that essentially will not have their blinders removed no matter what is pretty high. So, yeah, I can see Slot just being like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's just the nature of the business. And God knows people are are like comics is the nature, you know, really is got some terrible labor practices. You know what I mean? Like you and I could be like, oh, the, the, the grandeur and the glory that is Kirby. And as Vince Coletta, you know, was quick to point out, you know, he was the, Coletta was the guy who made sure that the issues got out on time. And it, that's why he did things like, you know, drawing curtains over, doorways and, sure, yeah. you know and other things because it was like yeah kirby everyone says kirby was a genius but coletta was the guy who had to work 36 hours or you know had his stable of prostitutes working 36 hours inking it or however however those stories go i uh, was gonna say i can we get sued for something like that i sure hope not i sure <laughs> hope not uh other news um Heck of a week for HBO Max in reverse order. Um, DMZ going to a series order, which I swear to God is like the fifth time I've read that announcement. But apparently it's say, recent feel, and real. I, I feel like we because uh, I saw that announced this week and I was like, was that not old news? Yeah, but I guess it wasn't. I guess it must have been like uh, that it was uh, announced or it was getting a pilot or something. See. I personally think myself without a, a lick of any tether to reality firmly believe it was going to series it turned around and got shuttled to mini series and now once again is back on series and we just missed that part cuz they talked about it about how it was like you know a four part event that has now been ordered to series and I'm like it is a series what four part who anyway there's that which depending on your definition of good or bad is good for hbo plus terrence winter uh ankling um the batman show on hbo max i would say that is probably bad for hbo and max and then of course the big big news uh, Wonder Woman 84 is going to be premiering on HBO Max on Christmas, the same time it opens in the theaters and will be playing on the service for a month, available for no extra fee to HBO Max subscribers. Um, which, as someone, as you know, I, both of us are HBO Max subscribers. That was okay news for me, but kind of a big oof on a variety of other levels. So... Um, I think that's I think that's my HBO Max news. Is there some that, other thing? I feel like there's something that, else. That's your update for HBO Max. That's my update <laughs> for HBO Max. Tune in. I feel like uh, I feel like uh, Jules Asner. Hi, I'm Jules Asner with Movie Moment. HBO Max is. Oh my god! Out. I love. It. Please do more in that voice. <laughs> 
Oh dear. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think Terrence winter, uh, getting the hell away from the Batman show, uh, says to me just about everything that, um, is going on with HBO max. That is why HBO max is not going to be mistaken for HBO anytime soon. So, uh, I, I'm very, that's it, not a good sign for whatever that, yeah. you know, definitely not Gotham, except it's almost certainly going to be Gotham is going to be the only potential upside is that it might mean Matt Reeves is more involved, which means it's more connected to the movie. But even then, yeah, like he doesn't feel like a good thing. No. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and I suppose kind of as in tandem to this, the sort of uh, heavy handed meddling, uh, such as I read it, that, that caused Winter's uh, departure from the show may have its uh, mirror in the tilting windmills column that landed from Brian Hibbs this week, where he talked about his uh, recent heart attack and tied it in. Not didn't lay it totally at the feet of DC Comics, but use that as a springboard <laughs> to talk about how DC Comics has been fucking with retailers, is doing everything wrong. And in Hibbs's eyes, uh, he's pretty much convinced at this point that there will essentially be no ongoing periodicals published by DC by 2022, I believe is his prediction, that they will I, be licensed I think, out. I've not read the piece. I think he's nuts. Uh, really? With that, with that final. Well, of course. I mean, with that's... that final uh, idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we'll see. I do think it's the most Hibbs move because again, I've not read the piece. But if he is like quietly hinting that his heart attack came as a result of DC Comics, that feels like the most Brian Hibbs thing ever. Oh, and yeah. I kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> it's in the opening paragraph. Let me see here. Let's see if I can find this because uh, I think it would be Comics Beat. Certainly got a lot of attention, uh, got a certain amount of blah, blah, blah. I'm impressed that you you still hadn't seen it. I, I, it's, it's, I saw it was published. I just uh, like, you know, I've had a, a crazy week. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I just like I haven't had a chance to read it. Got it. Uh, and where, of course, because the beat makes it so kind of impossible to find this stuff, unfortunately, I could find the link. Oh, God help me. All right, hold on, Twitter. Search on Hibs. <laughs> Let's go to his web, because he linked on it. It is his most. 282, the column title is The End Days. His, uh,. First two, three paragraphs are, I nearly died the first week of August. I had a clogged artery in my heart and went into cardiac arrest. They had to shock me three times to keep me from going, and my bodily body literally flew in the air from the shocks. I don't bring this up for sympathy. Honestly, thanks to a massive change in diet and exercise, I'm quite likely already in much better shape than I was in in July. But more to explain how I've let months go by without any commentary on the radical changes in comics distribution since June. While I assume full responsibility for the state of my health, there's certainly part of me that thinks that the stress and drama of the last few months added in some fashion to my condition. Uh, 
And then he goes on to talk about the summing up of DC announcing June 5th that they were going to stop distribution through Diamond and would use new distributors, Lunar and UCS. Um, uh, in other words, DC's move was to take their number one and number two customer and force all direct market stores to buy from their largest competitor. This is a pretty offensively egregious action for the average local comic book shop. So, yeah. So there's, uh, and then to jump to the ending, which is unfair because he really does lay out a lot of stuff. Um, but much like Marvel, Heroes World and Marvel in 1995, it's nearly impossible to see how this plan could tick along for more than two years or so, and the hollowing out of staff and services at DC would seem to me to guarantee that DC will be nothing but weaker at the end of this inning. My firmest expectation is that DC will no longer personally be selling comics by January of 2022 and will instead move to licensing them out to another publisher. I suppose it's conceptually possible that they could maybe generate the same profit by going that route, but the math looks poor from my side of the table. Instead, I will project that thousands of people's livelihoods and passions will be crushed because people with no desire to figure out how publishing actually works will build pipe dream scenarios which are going to come crashing down around them. Uh, so there you go. Uh, the, I guess the next paragraph, which I think might help substantiate some of that, is because at the end of the day, Marie Javins could be the single best editor-chief in DC history, but if you don't have a sales and marketing team there to support you in your single largest market, it's like asking someone to drive in the Indianapolis 500 without having a pit crew. So, so there you go. I saved you some time, Graham. You're very quiet. Did you mute yourself or you're... Oh, I totally muted myself by mistake. Sorry. Oh, that's um, okay. I follow his argument. Mm -hmm. I don't even necessarily disagree with his logic. Mm -hmm. I just think that saying like DC's not going to be publishing periodicals in two years feels nuts to me. Mm. I think I I think they will. They may not look like the periodicals that we see now. They may not even be intended for the drag market, but I think DC's going to be publishing periodicals periodicals okay okay i i i don't have much of a dog in this fight i certainly hope that you're right um dc is in some strange uh it is in a strange place and part of why i tied it to hbo max is hbo max is also well, it's, in it's, a very it's strange Warner place. media right exactly it's, it's all the Warner media stuff like the second round of dc layoffs that just happened is explicitly because warner media warner media which is dc's parent company yes. is having a massive round of layoffs that's right so you know so mm -hmm. yeah it, it's i i i put it this way i see why you make the connection the connection is literally there well, you know, you're, you're not making anything up there. There's that. And there's also, I think, because the nature of non-comics entertainment journalism is there's more venues and more competition. And so things can be a little bit more robust. Um, I certainly feel like there have been a lot of people talking about the transition from HBO to HBO Max being rocky specifically 
because expectations. HBO, in a weird way, was not unlike DC. You know, it was kind of allowed to do whatever it wanted as long as it turned a profit, um, you know, which it reliably did. Yeah. Yeah, always. And HBO similarly racked in tons of awards, um, you know, sort of the same way that the success of the superhero movies shone a light on uh, DC and what DC could be doing or should be doing. Similarly, I think the success of Game of Thrones really cast a light on HBO. And let's face it, AT&T bought the company and not unlike Disney, uh, oh, which is the other piece of news, um, is is carrying around a substantial shit ton of debt. So how much it, you know, it makes bajillions of dollars, but the fact that it has something like $18 billion in debt or whatever to, to have made its various takeovers could put it in one of those completely unrealistic expectations and demands while cutting everything to the bone and then selling things off piecemeal that, you know, is was a very dire reality of the economic market in the 90s is the the situation that we see affecting newspapers over the last 15 20 years you know it's it's if it part of me is like if it could happen to hbo max i mean of course hbo max is not going to stop producing shows it's almost exactly the opposite but you know the type of shows that it's expected to produce and what that means for how we understand how it exists. I could see DC being in a position that seems very strange to us from, I think think the DC already is in a position that feels very strange to us. That's true. I think that a lot of, I think a lot of the nervousness and a lot of the panic comes from that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, fandom, and especially uh, for want of a better way of putting it, the fandom that you and I belong to, mm-hmm. the fandom mm-hmm. of a certain generation, right. understands an an idea of DC and understands an idea of what a comic publisher is supposed to be, right? And I think that DC is far outside that now. And I think that DC being where it is inside Warner Media. And honestly, like having a general manager be in charge who answers to Warner Media as opposed to the traditional corporate structure that we expect from DC and being outside of the realm of the company that protects the direct market. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is incredibly disorienting. Yeah. And I think that drives a lot of anxiety about DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that the... That it, for it then for people then to go to well this means that DC is going to stop publishing comics or DC is going to die or DC is going to whatever um, speaks more to the I don't recognize it therefore it scares me mm-hmm. as opposed to necessarily the reality of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know comics publishing is still relatively cheap mm-hmm. you know DC just needs to earn its keep in whatever uh, shape that looks like in order to stick around and stay publishing comics. Is it going to be publishing the same comics it was 20 years ago? Of course not. 
Like, we've already seen. Vertigo's gone. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think we have at least temporarily seen an end to, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, you know, not vanity projects, but like weird small projects that exist for creators or exist for down the deals, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. pleasure. You know, I think that's gone as well. But in its place, we see stuff like DC Represent. We see Truth and Justice. You know, we see strange things coming up that fill different gaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're going to see more of that. Mm-hmm. I think putting Marie Javins in charge is a very good move and speaks to the idea that DC is going to continue to publish interest in comics. I think when you see that the CW is already developing a show based on Joelle Jones' new Wonder Girl character, who hasn't even fucking appeared yet, mm-hmm. it shows that there is, yes, very heavily, uh, you know... Uh, Warner Media fingers in the pie. Right. But that doesn't mean that DC isn't going to come up with different ideas. You know, I think it's arguably more likely that you're going to see more strange things happening in the comics as Warner Media tries to revitalize old names and old concepts for a new audience. Mm -hmm. If the Wonder Girl show gets made and is a hit, I think you're going to see more of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But again, that's scary to fandom as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because then, like, well, you're all upset that Barry Allen came back as a Flash, so we're going to do a whole new Flash, but it's going to be a whole new Flash. It's also not going to be Wally West, so you're still going to be upset. Mm-hmm. You know? I So, I think that Brian is... He's not wrong that, you know, letting go essentially the entire marketing department... Mm-hmm. It's scary. It's not a good sign. A healthy company doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Right? The healthy company isn't DC, or the unhealthy company isn't DC. It's Warner Media. Warner Media is massively changing. Like, they got rid of the HBO Max uh, studio. Mm-hmm. Like, HBO Max doesn't exist as a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's under Warner Media now. Mm-hmm. But that's like. It's. I guess that's what I'm saying. DC is part of a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. You can't point at this and be like, "This is a sign that DC is dying," because it's not. It's a sign that Warner Media is undergoing massive changes. Right. Like massive changes that are way bigger than DC. Mm-hmm. And that to fully understand what this means means looking beyond DC and accepting DC is a tiny piece of this. Well, yes, right. But I think that is. That I think for a long time it felt like such a tiny piece it could easily be overlooked, and now it's the it's such a tiny piece it could get not necessarily crushed, but but reconstituted in a format that um, you know again we talk about the periodicals. Uh, hopefully that th- that does not go away, but it is very easy to see. DC potentially pivoting to a much stronger focus on OGNs. Uh, sure. And, and, I, and I think like you've seen them do that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right. right. But, you know, counter argument. Is that a bad thing? Well, of course the thing is, is Hibs being Hibs. Well, of course, for Hibs it is. For for right. Hibs and the direct market, it is not good. And you and I both but are aware. Bad, but is it even a bad thing for the direct market? 
Because mm-hmm. if the graphic novels are sold through the direct market and are selling through the direct market, like, is it still a bad thing for the direct market? Again, it's a bad thing for Hibbs's view of the direct market. Well, I mean, Hibbs's view of the direct market is he himself is is one of the publishers, is one of the stores that was an early pivoted very early towards trade paperbacks you know Mm -hmm. it was very strong booster of that idea and was one of the original retailers that strongly encouraged dc to to put keep their trades in print essentially make them perennials yep most of the comic the direct market is really slow to have changed in that direction that left to their own devices comic comic stores that are profitable frequently pivot into things like um variant covers toys merchandise and gaming um and did not focus strongly on on the bookstore angle of comic books stores. Hibbs is one of those guys who did. I think that he would take a hit if say DC, particularly for such a long time was such a strong booster of DC. If DC moved to, they don't have periodicals coming out every week, but instead what you get are, you know, 12 to 24 OGNs a year and sure, another... But do, you, but do you really think the DC is going to give up period, weekly periodicals? Uh, dude, I... Because I, 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 I wholeheartedly do not believe that. I just don't. Well, I um, I don't know. Honestly, I would like to I would like to believe not because the way that the direct marketplace is set up, it's leaving money on the table, but... You know, there's a there's a reason why people are like, well, or maybe they just if you license things out, you know, you don't re- all you got to do is rake in the money. You know, that's not you don't have to pay anyone for that. You know, you get paid. And that is that is a way that a lot of companies have done it for a long time. Disney is left. Marvel alone for a variety of reasons, but but well, you Dis- say that, but like literally, Disney is doing the thing that you were talking about. DC essentially doing. Mm-hmm. Disney's packaging a reprints to IDW, no, kids books to IDW. I think Marvel's doing that. I mean, that, but that's what I mean. Like Marvel, Disney is. Well, my right? like they're they're all like you're saying Disney's leaving Marvel alone, but Marvel is already doing the thing that you're worried about. DC doing Marvel. Well, this was my point. Marvel actually was that Marvel was licensing out the books that it didn't, couldn't be arsed to put out, which more or less (laughs) makes a certain amount of sense. And they're doing the stuff that they know how to do in the infrastructures there for, but Disney itself is a, um, my understanding is is that the majority of Disney's comics worldwide are are done through 
licensing arrangements. They don't have a very robust or really any publishing department Mm -hmm. on their own. Yes. Yes, that's true. So that's not an impossible scenario for someone to imagine, especially people like Warner Brothers looking at Disney and being like, well, yeah, we don't. I mean, the fact that a lot of the cuts at DC were a lot of senior management and a lot of senior level dudes is a pretty big sign that they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't see the, the point of paying this much money. Like in, in the fields that I've worked in over the years, there are, there's, and I think for a lot of people, of course, who were working through the nineties and into the early two thousands, the specter of having your work outsourced, um, you know, raised its, its ugly head and there were a number of trade-offs and a lot of people are there being like, they'll never do that because they'll never take the hit in quality that would entail shipping your stuff out to, you know, another branch and blah, blah, blahville, you know, to do it. And the, unfortunately, there are certain factors out here in the world today, particularly in North America, where healthcare is still an issue, where guess what? A lot of people are like, nah, we're, we're willing to deal with substandard product for, I don't know, a year or two years because it beats having to pay, you know, $80,000 a year for somebody, you know, when you factor in the intangible benefits for a mailroom clerk, when we could just be paying a flat fee of this much that's way below that. And then we let some other company deal with it. Now, three or four or five years later, people were like, eh, this isn't working out. Maybe we should start bringing some of this stuff back in house. Others didn't. Others still will turn around and jump and, and outsource that stuff. So part of me is like, I am not especially um, bullish on the idea that, that someone who does not really know the marketplace at all. Again, seen in American history, a very um, continuous amount of uh, a very high baby to bathwater ratio, if you will, because there is debt to be paid off, you know, and there are payments to be made. And this actually brings me to the third news story, uh, which I don't know if you saw, I assume you did, um, that Alan Dean Foster... Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. Is yeah. in it. So for those who listening to us who don't know, essentially Alan Dean Foster came forward to the uh, Science Fiction Writers Association who themselves eventually had to step forward and make a public statement, which is that Disney, having purchased Lucasfilm purchased a whole bunch of all of the Lucasfilm assets, including things like Alan Dean Foster's novelizations of Star Wars and a splinter in the mind's eye. Yes. It's not just Lucasfilm. It's also Fox because he's explicitly talking about alien as well. That's right. No, no, no. And, and um, I am rapidly going to blow this one into a big, huge uh, emergency situation at, at the, 
risk of being alarmist. Disney is is just refusing to pay Foster royalties. They bought the contracts. They didn't renegotiate the contracts. They are just essentially more or less saying something along the lines of we bought the company's assets, not the company's liabilities. It is a version of what you and I were talking about earlier. Disney basically saying like, look, you got a problem with it. Sue me. Um, Foster, of course, is like, hey, what the fuck? Went to the Science Fiction Writers Association, who basically were kind of like, yeah, guys, what the fuck? Like, we keep, t- Disney will not sit down with us. Disney will not in any way talk about this. Of course, Foster, when he approached Disney, Disney's very first step was like, we won't even talk to you until you sign an NDA. And Foster's like, I'm not signing one of those before we talk. That doesn't make any sense to me. So, this is huge. This is basically Disney saying, like, I don't want to pay royalties. And at first, it just seems sort of churlish with the idea of it being Foster. But as you point out, it's Foster for his licensed novelizations, not just for Lucasfilms and Fox. But it is seriously oh. worrying and a huge chunk of money if Disney is basically floating this as test balloon for, hey, you know what? We just, we're not going to pay royalties on things that we purchased that have contracts. Well, that's just it. Like, like yeah. Disney's entire argument is, we don't owe you money. Yeah. Like, this other company owed you money, but we bought that company. So that company, like, we didn't buy that company's debts. Yeah, which is ridiculous. So, so therefore, yeah. like, we, we owe you nothing. Yeah, yeah. Which and is... that's really problematic that's oh, really yeah. problematic. exactly it's you no know, like that's very bad yeah it's <laughs> it's a it is a 900 pound gorilla solution uh basically to the problem of paying foster and it and it puts a lot of things because disney purchased so much you know if you move from beyond foster's novelization to essentially Anybody that gets paid royalties for something that Disney purchased, considering they own Marvel, Lucasfilm, and fucking 20th Century Fox. Like, you know, like Disney owns so much now yeah. that this is a really fucking big deal. Yeah. It's, like it's, Disney has per- – Disney, not only that, Disney owns so much that it didn't originate. Yeah. If their entire, entire argument is we basically purchased the company, yeah, that's so much. Right. Right. That's Lucasfilm. That's Marvel. That's Fox. Mm-hmm. That's Pixar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the Muppets. It's the Jim Henson company. That's right. Yeah. And so what you are looking at to me feels like a test balloon for, and again, Disney, I mean, if AT&T is carrying eight to $18 billion, I think Disney's carrying $12 billion in debt. And, of course, you know, one of its largest sources of income, the resorts have not been treated has, well has thanks to COVID. Well, yeah, have basically, like, ceased earning money. Yeah. You know, and bear in mind, like, Disney also said, like, I said, didn't just, like, hint, outright said, um, streaming content is our future. Yeah. Streaming content is our moneymaker from now on. It's our focus from now on. That's right. Um. When you consider that the streaming content is probably going to be Disney Plus or something similar, it's going to be based on the intellectual property again that Marvel, the Disney purchased 
from Marvel, from Lucasfilm, from Fox. That's right. Not Disney originated properties. Right. So the amount of people this could impact oh. is, is massive. It, it, and honestly, my bigger, biggest surprise is mm-hmm. not that Alan, is that this happened to Alan Foster and didn't happen to someone at Marvel. Well, my. I know they kind of tried it with Marvel. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Did they? But like, well, I think uh, Starlin had to make a stink before he got anything resembling. Well, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that, how do I put it? I feel, I that feel like, yeah, that was Marvel <laughs> yeah. way before. Like Disney and Marvel. Like, there's other things. I personally think that this like is, uh, I mean, a test balloon for because as you put it. Disney is looking at streaming. They have to pay. They're in a position to where they pay residuals. They pay royalties. They pay all sorts of things. You know, they have to pay out for the content. To say nothing of, in theory, the huge amount of tracking and detailing and statements and everything that go out for all of those things that are in place. Disney, perhaps unsurprisingly, is like, wouldn't it be a great if we never had to pay royalties, residuals, or licensing fees for all of these things that we purchased? Um, is is essentially kind of part of me is like, I know I'm an alarmist, but I would think that the screenwriters guild, the directors guild, and anyone who gets any kind of paycheck, um, you know, in residuals or royalties would be flipping the fuck out no, a no, lot this, this, big, this is a big big deal and it's it's something that feels like it could be you know really like significantly big significantly yeah. bad oh, I, I have a question because i've not seen this part of it maybe you have mm-hmm. have disney said anything about this I've not I've, seen that. Yeah, I've no. seen Alan Dean Foster say something. Right. I've seen the Science Fiction Writers Association say something. That's right. I haven't seen any Disney comment. That I might have missed it. Right. But like, have Disney said anything, or have Disney just literally not said anything and just hoped like we can ignore this? Uh, as far as I know, they have not said anything. But I could be wrong on that front. I wish that I could say that I was was well read. But this is just looking at a number of stories and being like, "Holy shit, this looks really bad," and not doing not not following the story as it develops. So, one thing that was really interesting to me about Foster's statement mm-hmm. is that he suggests this is recent. Because he says, uh, hang on, let me look at it. When you purchased Lucasfilm, you acquired the rights to some books I wrote. Star Wars, the novelization of the very first film. Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the first sequel novel. You owe me royalties in these books. You stopped paying them, mm-hmm. which suggests you did at some point. Mm-hmm. When you purchased 20th Century Fox, you eventually acquired the rights to the other books I'd written. The novelization of Alien, Aliens, and Alien 3. You've never paid royalties on any of these, or even issued royalty statements for them. Yeah. Right? So it suggests that something changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Or mm-hmm. am I misreading that? No, I I, <clears throat> I think that is right. I think that is right. And uh, that's what it sounds like. Um, and I do and think... And I wonder, like, when that changed. Well, uh, yeah. I You know, honestly... 
Because did I, it change? Like, has it changed because of COVID? Has it changed like post Fox purchase, which was last year? Question mark. Right. Right. Yeah, I think somewhere in there. I think maybe COVID might have accelerated at that timetable. Um, but we'll see. Hopefully, that will at some point come out. But like I said, I think that this is. I think Foster and the SFWA are handling it right. I hope more people, because my personal feeling is is that Marvel, uh, Disney is trying to set a precedent. And once that precedent's in place, it can begin to accelerate it. And Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if they get away with this, mm -hmm. for want of a better way of putting it, then then there is a precedent, right? Right. If they get away with this, then they can say, well, you know, no one complained that much or you like this wasn't deemed to be illegal mm -hmm. right exactly right and that's the scary part mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. that's the part where it's just like is this the part where they are trying to say well this was fine mm -hmm. when did this stop being fine because it was fine before mm -hmm. exactly exactly you know this is well this is a well-established business practice commonly understood when you purchase this and that of that you know and and moving forward it's just untenable to etc etc and hopefully anyone that's at all versed in the intellectual property is like dudes it's copyright you purchased he owns the copyright you are purchasing publishing this with the agreement that you pay them a certain amount of copies. Like that's in the royalty statements and things. Like it's not, you know, these were written under specific frameworks. And and those frameworks are being fought for, but had been fought for in the past. But each year, everyone gets a little wigglier. You know, there was a lot of talk about Queeby. Is, it, is that how you pronounce it? Queeby? The, 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 the short-lived like micro... Yeah. Programming thing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Which was a Jeffrey Katzenberg, who has been quite the major Hollywood player in the past. And people were pretty excited to run in and, and pelt him with eggs. But uh, what I didn't see, what I did not see, and hopefully you would know more of, because I just saw this in one tweet, which made me stop and think, was that Queeby, part of why it was set up was specifically to run short enough that they would not have to pay people royalties. <laughs> I've never heard that, but honestly, considering the people involved, sure, I can believe that. I, I believe that as well. And some people were saying, this is part of the reason why keeping it super short and streaming online, as opposed to putting into anything that would be like a TV set or construed as a TV service allowed them to work in the loophole of what is considered streaming entertainment and what their responsibilities were under the negotiated agreements from the last writer's strike back in 2009 or whatever. And, um, and you know, this is, it's, that's, I, like you said, I fully believe that knowing the people involved and my worry is, is that is the now that we have these too big to fail style colossuses stumbling around the landscape, um, 
they are going to figure out ways to get things done such that they maximize the money that can be paid to the executives and the stockholders and minimize the amount of money that is being paid to, you know, the quote unquote creative class. So yeah, the, the people who are coming up with everything. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's a little gruesome that, so I kind of feel like those three things sort of all somehow kind of tie together. I say three, uh, you know, HBO max, well, the HBO Max thing and the Disney thing is the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, both of them are Warner Media is <clears throat> undergoing drastic changes and is basically trying to work out what the fuck it's doing. Right. Right? Right. But but I think the also... Disney thing is, the Disney thing is a separate thing, but not an unrelated separate thing. Well, it's not an unrelated separate thing, exactly. Because I do think that there is a chilling effect like it, it the 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 tenor of the times is such that i think that uh, i hope that i'm wrong um but is essentially the creatives being squeezed way beyond um the already significant squeezes that they're under with the idea that they will, the their rights will essentially pop out of the top of their skulls and be scooped up. Well, something that is, and I have literally zero insight into this. I've just heard rumors, and I have no idea if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. But something that ties into both of these things, and is, is again fiercely tied to the Warner Brothers thing, the Warner mm-hmm. Media thing is um, the the rumors that. DC's pay to creatives is going to drop next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that literally the page rate is going to fall. Right. Um, which, on the one hand, wouldn't be the biggest surprise. Right. Warner Media is quite clearly cutting costs and has cut loose, you know, a lot of the uh, internal structure of DC. Yeah. You know, if you look at the two rounds of layoffs, they've lost a shit ton of editorial oh yeah they've lost pretty much the entire marketing department yeah you know uh there are multiple execs that are gone like one of the things that uh you know i i can't i did we talk about marie jammons getting made editor-in-chief in the last wait what or was that did we talk about that after we recorded drunk you i actually know, can't remember i can't next. remember because of the timing i feel like we yeah. talked about it sort of super briefly even if it was just between the two of us um but but so, so Marie's announced as EIC, mm-hmm. like proper, not acting anymore, full on permanent EIC. Right. And everyone's like, this is great. And the next day, the yep. next fucking day, mm-hmm. layoffs happen and Michelle Wells, who was sharing temporary EIC duties with her, is laid off. Yes. Yeah. Which is Right. Brutal. And Michelle Wells, the person who was basically behind the, the YA graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. You know? So that's not a small person to lose. No. And I, I don't think this means that DC is dropping a focus on, on why graphic novels. It's been successful for them. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to keep going. But the fact that the person who basically was running that is gone speaks to Warner Media and DC desperately trying to tighten its belt. Yeah. You know? And so the idea that they're going to drop Patriot kind of only makes sense in that frame of mind. Because it's not like they're going to 
lose editors, lose their sales department, and then go, but we're going to up pay for creatives. Mm -hmm. That's just not the way that it fucking works. It Mm -hmm. would be great if it was, but it's not. You know? Um, But I think that ties into what we're talking about as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And bear in mind, like, DC has the highest page rate in comics. Mm Mm-hmm. Unless you're like, you know, a very big name at Marvel. Right. But like on average, average to average, mm-hmm. Marvel pays less than DC. Right. Right. You know, and Marvel's definitely not going to up its page rates. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem is all this stuff is just happening in such, I mean, it's such a garbage year for like the industry is going to be heavily, heavily um, shaken up anyway. So these steps happening in tandem with that, you know, is, yeah, it's, it is, it'll, it'll be interesting, especially because I feel like DC, both DC and Marvel, I mean, I, I, it's not fair for me to say this. I don't pay attention, but I don't really also have any sense of what's happening with them arguably past January or February. And that's only by virtue of doing the podcast with you. And therefore sure. knowing about, you know, future tense uh, at DC, no idea what the fuck's going on in Marvel. So I, I King and black I mean, Marvel I guess. is, yeah, well, and also like presumably the Mephisto crossover, mm, mm-hmm. right? That seems to be a crossover, like spinning out the Avengers that, that would feel to be like a future thing. But I keep feeling that there's another shoe to drop at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Just because, again, Marvel laid off their publisher mm-hmm. a month ago. Yeah, like, that's really pretty quite. amazing. Yeah. But Marvel laid off their publisher a month ago after him being on furlough since March. Mm-hmm. You know, they laid off a bunch of people. And again, really quietly, DC's layoffs have been remarkably loud. Mm-hmm. Right? Marvel's layoffs, no one fucking reported on them. Yeah, yeah. And I think that suggests, A, Marvel's better at doing this, quote-unquote, but also I think that while we're watching DC, uh, what's it, what is a neutral way of saying this? Realign. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, very publicly. Mm-hmm. I think Marvel is either about to do it or is doing it right. completely in the dark. Right. Well, I mean, which is not a surprise. Marvel has gone to great lengths to leash press coverage, particularly in the comics realm. You know, I mean, there was so much shadowy stuff about C.B. Sapolsky taking over, you know, as editor-in-chief While still not leaving, you know, while not being in New York for six months and any very understandable questions of, well, how does that work? We're just, you know, ignored. Well, I mean, but also, you know, Marvel, the the difference between Marvel and DC is Marvel seems to be ramping production up really, like, high. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I get I, I get a lot of um, PR emails from Marvel, mm-hmm. but like, did you see that Marvel announced? I think it's called Me- Avengers Mech Fight or something this week. 
Avengers uh, Mech Strike. Wow, no. Which is a, a five-issue miniseries that is basically the Avengers all get, like, giant robot armor. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and it, it's, like, what what the fuck? Right. Right? It, it's just, it feels like they're just adding more and more and more. Oh, the other thing is, it will send shockwaves throughout the comic book industry and beyond. <laughs> and it's just the beginning of an epic story that will unfold throughout next year. Mm-hmm. Right? And on one hand... Of course, that's that's Marvel PR for everything, right? Right. But on the other hand, what if it's not? Like, yeah. what if this is like Mech Strike is the beginning of like another, another generation of you know whatever the fucks. <laughs> you know what if Mech, what if Mech Strike is the first of a, a Mech Strike line of comics? Sure, sure. I mean, you know? yeah. I, I, how do I put it? I can see them. I mean, to me, I'm like, sure, that makes it that makes a ton of sense for me because I feel that a lot of again, a CB Sabolsky led Marvel uh, has a lot of um, choices that seem odd if you're not looking at international markets. You know what I mean? But for me, well, sure. Like think think about the what's called Arrow and Swordmaster comics, right? Right. Think about Ultraman. Suddenly the Ultraman license being at Marvel. Think about all of a sudden you've got Marvel characters like being put in giant, you know, robots, you know, and it's and but it but it quote unquote matters. You know, I feel like that seems like there's a lot of Marvel's trying to figure out ways to to package stuff that you know, they can sell internationally that is being underwritten domestically, you know? Yeah, and also, it's worth bearing in mind that uh, you look at Disney Plus and you look at the Dan Slott thing we were talking about before, Marvel's looking to become more than comics. Marvel's looking to become a lifestyle brand. Uh, Much has been made about the fact that we've not had new Marvel Studios content in 2020. It's the first year since 2009, that's true. Right. But... We have a new Marvel content on Disney Plus, and it's all been reality shows. Mm-hmm. It's been reality shows based around the Marvel, you know, the Marvel brand. And Marvel's is doing like I've got to, I've got to find this email. Um, yeah, Marvel this week one of the one of the PR things is its new audio series with Sirius XM. Yeah, right. And one of them, I swear to shit, Jeff, is called Marvel Method. And it says the ultimate remix of Marvel fandom, Marvel Methods, is an exclusive weekly podcast where actor and rapper Method Man interviews celebrity guests about life and all things fandom. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Marvel is trying to make itself into a lifestyle brand. So it's not just that Marvel is trying to repackage its comics for all markets. Marvel is trying to expand (laughs) desperately into more than just comics. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I mean, Jeff. No, I know, but okay. I know you're going to be tuning in. I know you will. Of course, I will. I I want to say, and I could entirely be wrong, but to me, there might be something where uh, there there's a lot of ways that it breaks down. It would not. uh, Part of me is curious to what extent 
Marvel Studios was like, yes, we're bringing WandaVision, we're bringing all this other stuff, and it's it's going to be high-end prestige stuff. It's going to take a year for us to launch. All of the rest of Marvel's stuff uh, basically seems like the stuff that DC was doing on DC Universe. You know, just maybe Which with a slightly higher budget. Stuff that just didn't exist. Yes. Remember it, that a contest for a DC Universe series? Yes, like, I, I watched it. Basically, the horrible DC Universe shows that they were doing on a fractional budget um, to fill yeah, in the programming. Yeah, but even those shows were literally the YouTube shows that Marvel's been trying to do for years. Well, and that's like, what Marvel has had like three different cooking shows with C.P. Sabalski before he became editor-in-chief. Yes. Marvel currently has Marvel storyboards where like Joe Quesada just talks to random fucking people yeah and pretends that like it's somehow connected to marvel well yeah because again so i do think i think that those shows are incredibly cheap to produce because that stuff was sort of in the pipeline for their youtube stuff i think they just inflated it to a slightly larger size and slapped it into in onto disney plus as placeholder stuff now i could totally be wrong and they are trying to i mean i'm sure they would be happy if they could somehow fool people into convincing uh you know everyone that they are a brand and they're a a lifestyle or whatever but i mean you know the thing that's that's fascinating to me about this is i it's every every possibility you're not wrong Mm -hmm. right but star wars has gone the opposite way Mm mm-hmm there was a game show based on Star Wars for kids that was supposed to be on Disney Plus, and then they ended up moving it to YouTube. Mm-hmm. Well, because I, I think, I'm yeah, they, like what that means. Well, so my my theory is is that uh, I mean they of course had a much larger they had a huge hit with the Mandalorian, but yeah. I I personally think that once the Marvel Studio prestige shows are are there and disney plus can talk about marvel like marvel's there in a way that's not entirely deceptive then it's probably going to mostly disappear um the the we'll reality I mean, stuffed but we'll i could be totally wrong. what happens to one yeah. division and to the you know seemingly perpetually delayed falcon and winter soldier and whatever mm-hmm. the other shows are right she hulk miss marvel and everything you know the the potential no one wants to seem to admit this, but the potential for those shows to be closer to, you know, like the Netflix Marvel shows or, or you know, heaven forbid, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Inhumans mm-hmm. is, is there. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think I will, I think on the one hand, there's a variety of reasons why it may or may not be that way. I I really do think that there is a lot that is being done um, differently to, to avoid that from happening, which is in potentially a good thing. Um, But yeah, well, it could, it could, it could just all be a huge shit show. I think that um, I think that it's, if nothing else, again, considering wonder woman 84 is going to be on my TV on Christmas day, uh, as well as being in a theater, but I'm not going to a theater on Christmas Day. Yeah, like, who the fuck is, really? Like, I feel right. like putting it on 
Disney, uh, not Disney Plus, but yeah, Disney Plus would be a move. <laughs> uh, Big balls on that one. Is like an a, an admission to like no fucking person's going to go and see it in in a movie theater, at least in the U.S. No, I you're right, exactly, and I, I that and it I makes see, like there was a great. Me. Did you see the press release for it? Uh, I did. Or did you see the wonderful thing where someone says like, "We know the super fans are going to go to the theater," and it's like, no, they're fucking not. It's Christmas Day. Yeah. They're going, like, maybe they go to the theater, you know, when it's re-released when COVID's gone. Well, this is it. I mean, I think... Like, this even if it. I wanted to go and see Wonder Woman in a theater right now, I don't think any theaters near me are open. Well, I I mean, you know, would the... Sorry, I keep making all sorts of wug-wug noises. California has entered into a month-long, uh, essentially, curfew for all of the purple counties in California, which is the large majority of California, mind you, 41 of its, I don't know, 59 counties or something like that are in the purple zone, which means people are not allowed to be out or should not be out except for super urgent tasks from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. from now through December 21st. Like... And I don't know, I mean, again, that's four days before Wonder Woman 84 opens, you know. So, yeah, for me, I don't, I I think it's super, um, it was super important that all of their announcements basically kiss theater exhibitors' asses, but they are understandably, like cutting bait and are like we gotta do something honestly I'm... if any studio has the uh i don't know if rights to the word i'm really looking for but like has an excuse not to kiss theater uh theater owners asses it's warner brothers who kind of pissed tenant away this summer by being like, oh, no, we're definitely putting it in theaters. Everyone's going to go and see the new Christopher Nolan film. And then no fucking person did. Right. Absolutely. Well, and supposedly that had a lot to do with Nolan more or less demanding uh, that. And I don't think they they wanted to do it. But, yeah, I think they learned from that. And I think everyone's kind of aware, like movies sort of have a little bit of a sell by date. Like, I don't think that it's, I think for, for myself, I don't know. I, myself, there's no way I'm going to get into those theaters. And honestly, I'm not necessarily sure if, I mean, I don't know, Graham. I think I've mentioned this before. I really don't know how much I will want to go back to the movie theaters when COVID ends. You know? Well, I mean, you know, give it some time and sure. Yeah, I mean... But, I, like, in the short term, I know. Right, right. No, in the short term. But, I mean, I mean, for me, I feel like it... Uh, but, again, that's just me. I, I am aware that being old and cranky and just being really tired with the way that people behave in public, I think that the, the last couple of months... Like, it will probably be a miracle if I'm not an agoraphobe once COVID is over and 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 Edie more or less has to, like, wrap chain around my ankles, tie that to, to a, the car and back out and drag me screaming out of the house. But 
lovely imagery aside, I just don't see myself being like, I want to go into a movie theater around people, you know? Like, it's one thing if it's kind of people that I know or people that I like, but I, I got to tell you, if there's one thing where 2020 has really shake, shaken my faith, it's it's kind of in people. It's kind of in the strangers that you don't know. I don't think I'm going to get murdered. I don't think I'm going to get killed. But in terms of the amount of extraordinary, as we were talking about in our election episode from a few weeks back, the surprisingly high number of people that seem to be pro-cruelty, anti-empathy, and pretty much die for dark side so dark side can live for you is um i'm i'm just i'm not sure i'm just i'm kind of not sure how much i want to be in a theater full of people at the risk of being uh, like taking my my i'm on a huge downer this episode status and just really committing to that the fact that we had a fucking shooting in a mall like one of the few things that covid i was happy to have covid shut down you know is back again i'm like oh right like covid's going to end we're going to get vaccines everyone's going to go back out on the streets so people can go back to being gunned down at malls and schools again like part of me is just like what do I really get out of the movie theater transaction that is worth the people who do not turn off their phones when they're told to t- turn off the phones, the people who are, you know, putting their, taking their shoes off and putting their feet up, uh, you know, along the back of the chairs while talking loudly. Like, I'm just like, guess what? That's not... That's not a situation I want to be in. Maybe up in, you know, it used to be up in Portland, I wouldn't mind going because people actually were believed in civil, civic behavior. But, you know, down here in shit, shit show USA, I'm like, I kind of, I'll watch, I'll watch Wonder Woman 84 at home. Sure. I'll watch the Bond movies. I mean, and again, this could just be me. My belief in the public contract as it relates to public movie viewing may just be broken. I mean, I simultaneously like yes and also no. Right. You know, like I uh, currently, yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they were like, you know, there, there's been the news this week, you know, there, there's now two vaccines that are 95 percent mm-hmm. successful in trials and they're trying to rush them out so say in a magic world i wake up tomorrow and they're like okay both vaccines are available right uh and everything's open again you're not going to get me in a movie theater mm-hmm. you know you're just not mm-hmm. but i'd like to think that you know a year from now mm-hmm. i would be like oh maybe i'll go and see something in a movie theater mm-hmm. but who knows mm-hmm mm-hmm I'd like to, I'd like to think that while it has definitely uh, taken a backseat, it is not permanently gone. It's not been destroyed. I, I think you're probably right. I hope I 
hope that you are right. I just have to say for myself, I think that particular habit has mostly burned out. You know, it may have gone the way of going every week to the comic book store. It's like if I can. I I am now looking forward to someone listening to this Mm -hmm. a year from now. And you'd be like, you'll never believe what I saw in the movie theater. <laughs> uh, I went, and they were having like a, a you know, a marathon mm-hmm. of, you know, some, you know, old thing that like I saw twenty years ago, and I just, it was only a dollar, and I thought I'd go like, and I, I don't mean this in the sense of like just dunking on you, but I mean it in the sense of I am like I would genuinely like that mm-hmm. if it gets to the point where not only is it safe enough to do that. Mm-hmm. but that you feel safe enough to do that. Do you well, know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me I I hope that that is the case. And I I I don't know how to say it. It's just it's just not necessarily covid. I guess it just sort of no, it's, feels well, just like say, it's not like yeah. 2020 has not just been covid. Don't get me wrong, covid's a lot of it. Yes. You know, and seeing vast swaths of the country being like well you know sure we could wear masks but that's that makes me uncomfortable and therefore fuck you right is is uh sobering to put it politely yeah so Um, right exactly but it's not just that Mm -hmm. you know it is like we were talking about with the election seeing so many people vote for the person who wasn't hiding that they were a fascist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know um that's that shit six as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it it's it it's it's all of it's all of the stuff. It's all of twenty twenty. Well it's not just COVID, you're right. Uh so yes, I agree. Uh the one caveat that I want to throw in in part for the people who might be really depressed after hearing this is let let me just say that that for me there, the things that have been good in 2020 have been as a result of, I guess, the 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 micro rather than the macro. You know what I mean? So it could well be that things that I didn't necessarily think of as large scale engagement, what like going to the movie theater, you know, now is that way for me. But like I've had. A, I think a lot of very lovely transactions with my coworkers, with with my friends, um, with believe it or not, people on social media. You know, all of the thanks that I give every uh, I want to say every week, but of course we we do three of these for every four at the end of every podcast, where I, I thank the listeners is really heartfelt. I'm incredibly thankful for the correspondence that we get for being able to tweet something and have someone on Twitter reply, you know, um, and, and be in a conversation about something very lightly. I think, I think that's all, um, really helpful and warming. Um, but I think my suspicion of the crowd is, of where the crowd's head is at does not seem to be in a good 
place. And that is not necessarily the case for I've also attended some very important, you know, Black Lives Matter protests and other forms of organized activities that seem to be more crucial. And that's my personal feeling is I wish um, the part that bums me out is the idea that I'm I don't think that I can follow through on this. But if I spent the amount of time involved in social work in moving things that I believe in forward politically rather than voting with my dollars for a franchise, I think that would be better for me and probably for the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so maybe I'll do that. I think probably what it will be is, is instead six months from now on the third Saturday of the month, I'll be like, oh, Graham, why did I read all of Brian Bendis's Superman? I knew it was going to annoy me. Why? Why did I? Why did I do this? Graham, did you know Three Jokers is on Hoopla? Yes, I saw that. And I was like, that's so fast. That's creepy like, fast. That was like weeks after the final issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, part of me was like, when they rushed to trade, part of me was like, okay, they're not going to, they want this in trade. A, I think while it still has heat and people are confused and had heard about the first issue, but hadn't looked up the third issue, you know, and they can sell some copies before and for the holidays. That makes a lot of sense to me. The idea of it then being available on Hoopla just strikes me as really weirdly... I, I think that it's literally DC is trying to release trades faster. I, and this a massive hit, so... Yeah, but there are some trades that they have released, I thought, that didn't, took their time ending up on Hoopla. Sure. You know what I mean? No, no, no. no normally... If it's a big title, it's going to end up on there like within a week of of release. Release. Okay, maybe it's just the smaller stuff where they're yeah. where they drag their feet out. And even then, like dragging their feet out is like maybe two weeks. Well, yeah, exactly. It's I I don't know if there's anything that has shown up that hasn't been there um, within a month anyway. Um, but it's weird. That's also yeah, I saw weird. That and I was like, that seems crazy because yeah. the joke is, was always that Marvel rush releases their trades and DC, we, you know, could take anywhere between six months to a year. Right. And then not for three jokers. Yeah. And that to me is a huge sign that, um, that, yeah, that DC does not give a shit about what retailers think. Let's put it that way. Like, I think, you know, it'd be really tempting to Aside say... from the retailers who are selling the book, Jeff. Well, no, but <laughs> no, I don't even think then, Graham. I mean, honestly, because again, that's that whole idea of like, people who bought tons and tons of Three Jokers were kind of like, okay, now you got to give us six months to sell these all these copies because we bought a shit ton of these issues in part you know, because there's multiple covers and things, and it's going to take a while for us to sell them. And DC's going to be like, nope, 
you know? Like, yeah, but, but again, if it's a trade release, it's been solicited through the book trade, and so the fact that if there was going to be a book tra- release at that point has been known since before the issues were solicited. Well, that's true. I that's guess that is thing. true. So yeah. it's not like right. any of this was a secret. They no, didn't that's rush true. release this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay. That's a good point. And I, I assume that the retailers either didn't mind or didn't put up enough of a stink. Uh, but yeah. No, I just remember, as you know, there was uh, DCs around the new 52 were making noises like they weren't going to trade release for like 12 months or something like that or yeah. something that was it was, it was way close, too it was, long. Yeah. yeah, it was close to like, it was six months or a year at least yeah. that it was a long time because people were complaining. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and now you have like two weeks, which honestly is just crazy. Yeah, that is, is a... Like it's, it's really like... Head spinningly fast. So yeah, for those people who have not read Three Jokers and have have access to Hoopla, here's your chance to be disappointed. Um, yeah. Be disappointed like Jeff was. Man, I tell you, that first issue. Where Jeff? You I was. That first issue. I like that first issue. It was good trash. It was good trash. By the third issue, it was it was it was dull trash. Boy. Oof. <laughs> Jeff, we've been talking for like two and a half hours, and so I feel like we've got to wrap up. And it's sad because I wanted to have an argument with you about Bendis' Legion of Superheroes, which I read as part of my comfort reading thing. Oh, great. Um, and I really liked, like, I really liked, and I think does the thing that you like about Aaron's Avengers in a way that I find appetizing. Really? I also think, and I tweeted this out, it's the most Gilmore Girls thing that Bendis has ever written. And someone said, you mean in terms of dialogue? And I didn't. I mean in terms of it's a comic that it doesn't have three-act structure for stories. It has distractions for stories. Hmm. We're doing this thing. We got distracted. Now we're doing this thing. We're doing this thing. Now we're getting distracted and doing this thing. But if you read them as a whole, the distractions are logical. Mm Mm-hmm. And if, like me, you reread, like, the first ten issues, there is a resolution. You just have to wait a hell of a long time for it. Mm-hmm. And then it settles into what I recognize as basically like the Claremont X-Men formula. Mm. Hmm. You know, you have long-running storylines, and then the end, and you have, like, your breather issue. Right. Where people talk about feelings. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm... I... I'm glad, and you're right. I'm sort of sorry we're going to miss that. I'm sorry that I keep promising to talk about Abbey's comics and keep not doing it. Uh, people, for those of you who want a very 2020 take on, um, uh, who, who want a view of 2020 that was written by Abbey in 2019 that feels like stumbling across three uh, first issues, um, like from a comics line that you never got a chance to see their full product, I suppose. Um, I totally recommend picking up those three issues of Gangland All-Stars. It's only available digitally. Uh, Currently, you can get them on Gumroad. I will talk about that at length. Graham, I don't think you've read them, have you? You have not. No, I have. Oh, you have. Someday I would like to talk with you about them. And I will reread Legion of Superheroes so we can talk about yeah, that. But here's too. The thing, like, 
uh, part of me is like, you don't need to because you read the first trade like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, yeah. and it didn't work for you. It, 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 that, it yeah, that's fine. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I think I like it a because I'm a sucker for Legion. Mm-hmm. B because I think I'm more forgiving of the fact that Bendis really cannot do like a uh, a non meandering plot to save his life, mm-hmm. and Legion just leans into that really heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, it feels like it's doing that in a way that Aaron's Avengers is doing that and disappointing me, whereas Legion feels like it's doing that and not disappointing me. Mm. And I know that, like, you like Aaron's Avengers, so it could literally just be we have different tastes in that particular trope. Well, right, or as as you being more of a DC fanboy, me being more of a Marvel fanboy, the things that annoy the other delight the other, you know? Like, it's it, it could be... Like, there were things, like, where, I don't know, they end up on planet Gotham, and all of a sudden, there's some point where, like, Bendis, like, just sort of, you know, drops a double-page spread. I almost said drops a deuce, which I think would have been an amazing term to use <laughs> for a Bendis double-page spread, of of people talking about how important the 21st century is, and, like, anything that happens there will affect the rest of the ripples in time. And then it then it just goes on to something else. Like there, there's stuff or like that part about like the Aquaman's trident. And I was like, which again, and this is, this is not your fault. This is the fault of the people putting the collections together. Mm -hmm. Get some payoff in like issue nine. What I think even Aquaman's trident does get a payoff at the end of this arc. Cause it is the whole, like there's the big invading species and they more or less they they release aquaman's trident on them and more or less yeah stop that's, the invasion, but still right? there is further there but there's still further yeah that yeah. makes more sense of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right but that's not going to be for another collection right you know like it, it's it's something that again legion worked for me in single issues and so the like it feels unfortunate that this series, which I think does actually work in single issues, even though it continually just gets distracted by itself, which again is something I'm enjoying, doesn't work as a trait. Because in a trait, you expect there to be a beginning, a middle, and end. Mm-hmm. And in the First Legion collection, you get like four beginnings. Yeah, right. Maybe two middles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Well, you even get stuff that is, like you said, the Gilmore Girls sort of version of it. Where it's like there's a whole episode where Superboy's like, I gotta go, I gotta bring Damon Wayne into, I, Damon's got to see this, and then yeah. he goes and grabs him and brings him into it, and I was just like, Ugh, too soon, like you know, like it's just. Whereas uh, I really like that because it feels like dumbly impetuous and too soon. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I believe that a kid would do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess oh, I'm gonna go get my friend. Sure. Yeah, no, 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 no. I I also can, and yet at the same time, um, at the same time, I didn't like it. There was just a lot that bugged me. I yeah, I yeah, would have to. And again, that's fine. Right, exactly. It's just that like I read it and I was like, I really like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I want to tell Jeff that I like it. I, 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 I like. I didn't particularly want to do it because I feel like you've you've biked on Ben just like two or three times this episode, and each time I was like, I should tell him I like these. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think that's fair. I mean, I feel I feel like the Jeff Bags on Bendis, you put up a, a good natured and, and rousing defense is is a, is a wait what staple. I I, well, I remember when it was the other way around. I'd bag on him and you'd put up the defense back when he's doing Avengers. Yeah. Wait. No. Yes. Dude, I was off Avengers so early, like in the first you, year. You and I had many discussions about how he basically failed, but he failed in an interesting way. Oh, well, I can see myself saying that, yeah. Sadly, <laughs> after a decade, I'm like, yeah, You're no. Like it's no longer interesting. It's no longer interesting. It's the same fucking failure. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's I think that's accurate. I think I think that is a, an accurate summation of of the situation. Uh, you're right, Graham. We should we should cut it short. We should cut it short. It's still long. We should just. I was gonna say we should cut it short. We say after two and three quarter hours. Yeah, exactly. It, it... Good cutting it short does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's gonna be show notes for this up on waitwhatpodcasts.com by the time you're listening to this. I was going to say I'll do this soon, but it's probably going to be after Thanksgiving, let's be honest. Uh, there will be one day in our life, new posts at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com and instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. We have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I'm on Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And because we are as happy and successful and beloved as we are sounds more sarcastic than i meant to uh we are a patreon supported podcast and so jeff can hopefully be less sarcastic sounding than i was jeff uh yeah good luck i feel like there's times where uh i i don't think i ever sound sarcastic but i i do worry that i i either sound overly syrupy or kind of uh hastily uh, insincere it's very strange to kind of try and talk about the weird intangible and sometimes tangible benefits from basically being able to talk to Graham week in week out uh and then put that up on the internet get feedback have people uh talk to us uh invite us onto other podcasts um do any number of things uh and 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 then be able to meet those people interact with those people it's 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 kind of uh it's still it is something that i do not take for granted um which is wonderful because we actually have been doing this a kind of a long time uh the other thing that we definitely do not take for granted uh is uh the people on patreon who not only are wonderful listeners but also uh, generous saintly souls who throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh every month such that we are able to do things like um, buy awesome comic books and or um, really absurd uh, and lamentable uh, Lego minifigure purchases, which I sadly can't go into more detail, but probably should. Um among the various people that that deserve their sincere and continuing thanks, Dominic El Franco, uh, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, we're grateful to both of them for their continuing support and also for their uh, galactic protection, um, keeping us as safe as we can be in this terrifying, godless universe. Graham.
way to sell it, Jeff. Terrifying, godless universe that is. Um, we are not doing an episode le- next week because it's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Americans, uh, Canadians. Happy Thanksgiving for last month. But we're doing one the following week, which means it's December already, which is weird. Yeah, so weird. Which is very, very strange. Yeah. Um, it's a wait what in a couple of weeks. And by that point... Mm, I don't know what we will have read. Oh, I totally meant to tell you I've read the the Dune graphic novel, Jeff. Mm. I totally forgot about that. Wow. Uh, we'll talk about that next time. Jeez. Let you me mean the, the Marvel one from... Uh... No, 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 no. The, the the new one that's just come out. The Raoul Allen and Patricia Martin oh, um, illustrated, wow. uh, adapted by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson mm. graphic novel. The one that's just coming out from Abrams or come out from Abrams? One or the other. Wow. Um... Oof. Jeff, all I'm going to say is this. That's a beautiful book that's almost impossible to read. <laughs> uh, whereas I am looking forward to talking about the four volumes of Legend of the Overfiend that I read two or three weeks ago. Um, that is soul scalding. Uh, and I look forward to discussing it um, and uh, and maybe in contrast to do. Because who knows? Maybe they're really the same book. It's very possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks anyway. Until then, bye!